the myth of the secure mainframe and the tale of a hacker seeking friends on social media. These stories and a special report from InfoSecure to Europe coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. In the last episode of the ISMG Security Report, you heard how enterprises struggle to pick the right security products from a wide array of vendors. That report reminded me of a bygone era of the mainframe when there were fewer choices. I'm going to date myself, but I came of age as an information technologist when mainframes ruled the enterprise and the product choices often boiled down to IBM or IBM. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but only slightly. During the mainframe era, and when it came to hardware, the behemoth, Big Blue, as IBM was then known, ruled the day. Enterprises more often than not would not look beyond IBM when acquiring mainframe technology. But there was Bunch. Bunch, you ask? Bunch is an acronym for non-IBM mainframes. Burroughs, Univac, NCR, Control Data, and Honeywell. Often Bunch computers were designed for specific applications or industries. The vast majority of enterprises in the 1970s and 1980s ignored Bunch. They saw IBM as the only viable enterprise mainframe solution. But I digress with this bit of trivia. These days, we don't hear much about mainframes, but they remain in wide use in many data centers. According to one estimate, 70% of the data that exists in enterprises today are stored in mainframes. And even today, IBM rules. One report calculates that IBM accounts for about two-thirds of large mainframe sales. Since security wasn't a major problem in the era of the mainframe, many people believe mainframes don't have the same security challenges of other technologies. That's not quite true. Here's Chip Mason, Elite Strategy and Product Definition for Mainframe Security Products at CA Technologies. Mason spoke with ISMG's Tom Field. Yeah, they are breachable. I mean, one of the myths is that the mainframe can't be breached or is totally secure, and that's unfortunately not the case. Now, it's typically secure because it's buried in the enterprise. We have lots of firewalls and things between us, so that's good news. But since these systems started off when eight characters is the way to go because of memory issues, most passwords and IDs are still eight characters, so they're not very complex. Now, there are systems available today for multi-factor authentication and passphrases and things like that, but we unfortunately don't see that many customers using them. Everything you do on a mainframe requires a password and user ID, but that also means it's susceptible to social engineering. So it doesn't take much more than an email from the CEO saying he needs to get access to the mainframe to check some records before somebody sends him his simple password and ID and all of a sudden you have a major breach. What are some of the other vulnerabilities that you're seeing with mainframes? The mainframe does have vulnerabilities, it's just IBM doesn't like to publish them or post them in public forums. Among other things, the mainframe has a Unix interface, and so the same vulnerabilities you find in other Unix systems exist in this one as well, so it's important to keep up to date with those. A lot of times in security organizations, particularly in the CISO organization, they don't often have security experts. They may be a little bit younger, maybe they're exposed to that, or maybe it is they have so many things to worry about in case of Windows patches that they don't have time to think about the mainframe. But it's a critical aspect. You know, we focus on the mainframe as just a server platform. That's all it is, it's a yep. server. It may be a bit of a snowflake for other things, but it's just servers. The same issues that you work with and worry about in Linux and Windows, you should have similar policies on the mainframe, and we don't often see that. That's CA's Chip Mason speaking with ISMG's Tom Field. We'll hear more from Tom later in the program. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. 
Sammy Kamkar wanted friends, so he joined a social media group. Kamkar got more than he bargained for, and he paid dearly for it. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk tells the tale of Sammy Kamkar. Sammy Kamkar became nearly everyone's virtual friend in October 2005. No one knew him, of course. But within just a day, he gained nearly a million new friends on the once popular social network MySpace. Kamkar, who was just 19 years old at the time, harnessed so many new friends by writing what still stands today as one of the most potent worms, which is the term for self-propagating viral code, to ever strike a social network. It came from a relatively innocent idea. Here's Kamkar. It was all kind of a learning experience for me because I was just trying to learn JavaScript better. Um, so yeah, I didn't think I was really crossing a terrible line. I felt like, yeah, it's probably like a little wrong, but not like terrible. Kamkar's MySpace foray landed him in a legal tangle that kept him off the internet for three years. But it was the product of nine years of self-study of programming. It eventually led Kamkar, who's now 31, to become one of the most innovative hackers. Last year, he developed a device called PoisonTap that takes advantage of computers' implicit trust in connected USB drives. The year before, he released MagSpoof, which is a homemade gadget that spoofs a payment card. It tricks the payment terminal into thinking the card's key security feature, a microchip, isn't needed for a transaction. All of this comes from someone who dropped out of high school at 15 years old. Instead of going to school, he studied how to reverse engineer the first-person shooter game Counter-Strike. Several years later, he came across MySpace. He was interested in gaining new friends. What he created was a worm that eventually even he could not control. And now I'm just curious, how fast is it actually going? And someone documented this, and I'm, I'm refreshing, it's almost 3,000 new users per second. MySpace never contacted him, even though Camcar did send a note describing exactly how the worm worked. For about six months, nothing happened. He thought by that time, he might have escaped law enforcement attention. Then one day, officials from four agencies surrounded him as he was getting into his car. I see two guys standing next to my car, and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm getting carjacked. <laughs> and then two guys come up behind me, another two, and then they say, Sammy? And I'm like, hmm. Carjackers don't know your name. <laughs> like, Sammy, uh, we have a search warrant for your place. He paid dearly. He reached a felony plea agreement with the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office. Cam Carr had to pay restitution to MySpace and, as part of his parole, could not touch a computer that was connected to the internet for three years. He also spent 720 hours collecting trash along California's highways. Cam Carr is coy about his next project, but he's interested in side channel attacks, which involve collecting electric or electromagnetic emissions from a computer to reveal information. It's a continuation of his love of hacking, but this time purely legal. Hacking is like a puzzle. It's like, who's done a puzzle before? Just any kind of puzzle. They're fun. They're really fun to accomplish. But the thing with hacking is, someone created a puzzle that was not intended to be solved. It was a maze with no exit points, and you're still able to get on the other side. Even more satisfying than a normal puzzle. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Deception technology. When it works, it works. But what about when it goes wrong? ISMG's Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit on June 20th and 21st in Chicago will address this and other hot cybersecurity challenges we face today. Visit events.ismg.io and register today.
Privacy and the forthcoming European General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, were big topics of discussion at the just-concluded InfoSecurity Europe conference. ISMG Senior Vice President for Editorial Tom Field and Data Breach Today Editor Matthew Schwartz covered the conference, and before departing London, they filed this report. We first hear from Matt, who attended a keynote presentation by Jeremy Paxman, Paxman anchored for 25 years BBC Television's daily current affairs program, Newsnight. He's very pointed. He's more often known for interviewing political subjects, asking difficult questions, being a bit provocative. And he brought that level of provocativeness to his speech. And he was saying to the audience of largely information security professionals, you know, what's with all this cybersecurity stuff? What's with all this privacy stuff? I don't need to know anything about your sex life. I mean, why not let the security services monitor everything that's going on? You know, they're not going to care what you're doing. You're not at work. What's with all the hullabaloo to do with wanting to have privacy or being worried about what the surveillance state might be doing? I think that's probably a dominant trend that we hear. The police and the intelligence services are trying to keep us safe, so let's give them everything they need. I put what he had been saying to some of the security professionals here, and they said, well, privacy is a right. You know, just because the state services can look at everything you do via Facebook doesn't give them the right to do it. You know, back in the day, they were having to steam open your letters and be very targeted in what they were attempting to do. And there's a lot more in the way of privacy and liberty protection in that model because it's very hard to scale. Now, of course, they can scale ad nauseum. Where do we draw the line? Yeah, it's interesting because privacy has been a dominant theme in the discussions I've had. As you know, I've been in our video studio talking to lots of security leaders, and the famous four letters have come up consistently, GDPR. It's been a, a, a huge topic among the speakers. And what I got speaking to an attorney and other people that work in the market, there's a fair amount of resentment from people that have been working with the old regulation and GDPR for a decade or more. Resentment toward all of the companies that have sort of popped up in the past year. Yeah, we do GDPR compliance. We've got a GDR, a GDPR solution. And there's a fair amount of resentment to the Johnny-come-latelys, not because they've come into the space, but because they don't understand it in many cases, as well as the locals. Have you heard anything similar? Definitely. GDPR is the latest thing, say zero-day attacks, APT, a whole lot of other infosec bingo words. And GDPR has been added to that board. I think one of my favorite episodes of the conference was someone has gotten a double-decker bus rented and wrapped with a GDPR sticker. And there was a group of schoolgirls walking by going, GPR, GPR. And I just thought, doesn't that encapsulate a bit the fact that it does seem so meaningless? Obviously, they're not going to be up on the nuances of data security and privacy regulations. But with reuse, I think it's become devalued a bit. You see companies advertising this or that sort of file encrypting solution, but it's GDPR compliant. It's going to make you GDPR compliant. Well, it's not, obviously. I think we need to discount a lot of the marketing that's happening. I do think there's also a cautionary note that's been sounded by people who know about GDPR saying, beware all the firms who are now saying they can get you GDPR compliant. Do some due diligence there because it's just the, la the latest bandwagon for at least some firms out there. I do get a sense from some of the people I've spoken to that there has to be a high-profile incident and a penalty before it gets a lot of people's attention. They need to see the teeth used. Well, we've seen that so often before. Everything that seems to happen is billed as a wake-up call 
like WannaCry is a wake-up call. Unfortunately, not everybody wakes up. That's ISMG's Matt Schwartz speaking with Tom Field at the InfoSecurity Europe Conference in London. And that's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Thank you.